Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today, we are speaking with Lee Morgan. Hi, Lee. How are you? Good to see another Duke grad. <laughs> well, I mean, I was going to say, Lee, the, the, the best thing, of course, about you is that you went to Duke. But besides that, Lee has had a spectacular career. Uh, she's currently the Chief Strategy and operate, Operating Officer at Nia Terrell Foundation. But she's also been the COO at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and has played many other uh, leading roles in the public and private sector. And we'll talk to her more about how those two areas and two worlds can learn from one another and, and benefit from one another. But before we get there, tell us a little bit about your background and your career today. Great. Yeah. So I have uh, had a really interesting career, or I'm told it's been interesting for me. It's just what I do. Uh, but I have had the privilege and honor of working in both the public and private sector in my career. Started out as a community activist uh, coming out of school, and I stayed in a beautiful town of Durham, North Carolina for 18 years. And while there, I worked in uh, a couple of nonprofits and then joined uh, Governor Jim Hunt uh, in the time when Bill Clinton came into his presidency and established the AmeriCorps National Service Program. So I think I was most likely protesting outside of the governor's mansion and found myself very soon after hired to help stand up the AmeriCorps program in North Carolina. And uh, that was a very important time in my life to really begin to see the power of scale in driving change and helping to improve the lives of uh, communities, working in multicultural settings, uh, and also then beginning to understand the power of the private sector as well as the public sector in uh, developing policy, and working together uh, to not just build great organizations, but great companies, um, but also to help empower and support diverse communities. And so that was really interesting. Uh, I wanted to learn more about how do you drive change across large systems? And someone said that the corporate sector cares a lot about that. Why don't you go get some experience there? So I did. Uh, I started a graduate program to learn more about uh, how do you build great organizations. And that got me into healthcare in biopharma, where I stayed for plus or minus 15 years. I ended up in an iconic, great company called Genentech back in the Bay Area, eventually, and helped to scale that organization uh, from about 5,000 to 11,000. And then we were acquired uh, by a big Swiss company. So I've been through a couple of M&As now in big pharma, uh, again, working at a scale across multiple platforms. Um, and then I got some experience working in academia. I was asked to be the associate chancellor of the University of California, San Francisco, and uh, eventually followed my boss at UCSF up to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, back to the homeland where I was born and raised, which is uh, Washington State. 
So that was really fantastic work. And now I'm at a really amazing, uh, scrappy startup called Neotero, where we do work around the world to support indigenous peoples to secure their rights and sovereignty and their ancestral homelands, which we know is a critical and key uh, component uh, to ensuring that we have a vibrant, healthy planet uh, that survives and thrives well into the future. So what an incredible background, Lee. I mean, very, a varied background. You've been part of explosive growth in, in, in groups like Genetech. You've worked with uh, unbelievably scaled foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And then also what you've been working on recently at, at Neotero, clearly a very focused effort, but a very important and, and critical effort. I mean, I, I, I feel like I could get so many insights and learnings from every one of those experiences. But tell me how you think the public and private sectors can, can benefit from one another and, and what learning should they take away? It's a great question. And as I've, you know, over time, I've certainly seen the dynamic and the interplay and interdependencies between the public and private sector increase. And so when I was in government uh, with Governor Hunt in North Carolina, we did do work uh, with the corporate sector. I saw the potential. I got firsthand knowledge of that. It was also true that we had a lot of strong boundaries across sector. You know, healthcare did healthcare, right? Technology did hardware and software, right? The government took care of public related things. And over time, and I think we've seen an acceleration of this, which is uh, a blurring of boundaries writ large in, in every aspect of our lives and our communities. That's certainly true in the business sector. That's true in the nonprofit sector. Uh, and so for one example, uh, when I was at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, we over time, uh, plus or minus a billion dollars had been invested in our impact investment strategies. And some portion of that was, was invested in equity and debt in for-profit companies. Um, and the reason that we did that was to really spur innovation on diseases that impacted the poor, right? Because there's not a lot of money developing drugs that there's not a lot of money for payers, meaning some of the, the governments in some of these countries, they don't have a lot of money. And so we wanted to spur and use market forces to generate um, uh, better drugs that impacted uh, issues of poverty and health. And so that was one way and many other ways at the foundation uh, where we worked across the public and private sector. And I've seen that also in healthcare, which has been a bit of a, a consistent substrate for me. I'm on a number of biotech boards now. I'm a vice chair of the Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center. And we've seen the Fred Hutch has been at the center of Operation Warp Speed for COVID and helping to develop and accelerate the development of some of these mRNA vaccines that have, we've seen to have incredible efficacy uh, in fighting this horrible pandemic. And that's certainly a great example of the public and private sector and actually- well, I, mean, I mean, one could argue that this, this, this last year has been a macro scale uh, version of public and private sectors um, elements coming together in good ways and, and perhaps running into challenges. 
Yeah, you know, the big the big issue here is we're seeing the blurring of boundaries and more a proliferation of mm -hmm. public-private partnerships. But the challenges that remain are how do you align the incentives for the corporate sector, the private sector, and the public sector, right? And so a lot of those incentives are really how does money flow, right? Mm -hmm. Both from investors, but also from the government. Uh, and that's really the, the big lesson. We want to align in financial incentives um, so that we we get people to the table where they're where they weren't previously at the table, and that's certainly what we've seen from Operation Warp Speed, which was essentially a blank check that the government said we're going to backstop you, uh, pharma companies. We're going to you know if 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 your drugs don't work, we're still going to keep you whole, and we're going to help capitalize your manufacturing so that you can ramp up if your drug actually works, which speeds up the whole process. So I think that's a big area for all of us to look for, particularly in healthcare is the alignment of incentives. I'm very pleased that uh, recently we've seen uh, some proposals in Congress to increase funding for basic sciences, which is really key. And then in my current work now, we're seeing a much greater attention in the climate space to the criticality of indigenous sovereignty and rights of indigenous peoples who have lived in place, who have been guardians of Earth's remaining large scale vital ecosystems. And that must be a real critical component as we see more money flooding in or particularly around carbon credits and investment. So that's a real positive movement. There's still a lot of risk there, but, but that's another helpful example, I think. No, I, 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 I think it's, it's quite interesting. I, I, I was in a um, conference yesterday uh, talking about uh, the SDG goals uh, that we uh, have today. And there were a lot of companies that were presenting and they all, all, really started with the same line. They all said, well, you know, we are X company and we are a purpose-driven organization. And, and there was a sense, I, I feel that there's a, an ethos in business right now that every business wants to be more, more, more impactful on the major issues that we face today. And maybe the SDG stuff that's happening and maybe kind of the, um, the governance and the environmental and the sustainability initiative, the ESG uh, yeah. goals has also played a role in that as well. Do you feel like we're moving towards a moment where those, that alignment that you're talking about is getting, are, is it getting easier, harder? Where, where are we with that? I think the answer is yes to, to all those questions. Um, I think in general, uh, positive movements around the ESG uh, focus. I have a number of friends and colleagues who work in big investment firms, and they say to me, you know, my clients are saying I want my investments to go to companies that have well-defined, articulated statements around environment, you know, social benefit, that sort of thing. And so that's a good thing, right? Um, what we don't yet have, and this is where it's a mixed bag, is we we don't yet have alignment in the corporate sector around what those what does ESG actually mean. Mm -hmm. And so there are certainly some companies that see it as a tick box, as a means to greater market share, right? Wow. There may be some upsides from that to the environment, to society. 
what we really want is for companies to see this as essential to their mission and their work and their business model, which is why it's actually really important that we have companies that are profitable that you know, demonstrate how profitable it can be to do the right thing, right? right. And from a kind of social change perspective, um, you know, that's also raises some hackles, right? Because on the one hand, you'd say, why do we need financial incentives to drive that behavior, right? Capitalism is, you know, just you start out from the wrong place. Um, I respect those views. I think we need those views. I'm at a place where I think uh, market forces can, with the right regulatory frameworks, with the right uh, incentives, and with good governance, um, we can we can see some of these market forces actually have a very tangible and positive impact on the world, particularly around issues related to climate. I I I hope so. I think that that's that's the the, the vision, and and I I think that the 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 challenge on the alignment will always be there. Um, but hopefully, we're kind of inching towards a, a better place where at least at least people are aligned with the, the their their hearts, supposedly maybe, but not not with the, their strategies yet. Not. That that seems to be a slightly better place. So let me let me kind of shift gears. But before before I, I I do that, I'd just be kind of curious. So you've worked with such incredible organizations. I mean, Genentech, what a what an incredible ride that must have been. Um, for, from from when you joined that company to uh, to to really kind of the conclusion, how how did you see that scale impact the way you guys were approaching problems? It was really um, incredible for me to join uh, that company at a time when it was really scaling. Uh, yeah. A couple of really remarkable drugs, oncology drugs, Avastin and then Perceptin, uh, and, and some others had have really had such a big impact in in that therapeutic space. It also helped scale the company. Um, the biggest thing, having come from big pharma most recently, the the stark difference was the culture at Genentech. Culture, culture, culture. It was a high trust culture. Mm -hmm. It was a culture where you would see the executives, and by that I mean Art Levinson, our CEO, Sue Desmond Hellman, who ended up being my boss a couple of times uh, out of working with her, um, Richard Scheller, who was our head of development, Hal Barron, who's now head of R&D at GlaxoSmithKline. What you found, uh, and I wasn't at that executive level there, I was a, not at the C-suite, was one below. <clears throat> Alignment around the mission, patients first, good research first. And that was the engine and then commercial followed. Mm -hmm. And it's changing a little bit now, but in my previous roles in pharma, it was commercial and R&D would kind of follow behind. Right. And so when you change that model, you really get rooted in what's best for patients and you start aligning how you spend your money, how you think about your portfolio, and you think about what drives great science. And one of the things that drives great science is innovation. What drives innovation? Trust. Debate. People need to feel that they can say, yeah, that's crazy. And everyone knew if you had the best idea, you know, you could have a mohawk, you could, uh, you know, have a tattoo on your forehead, but if you had the best idea, you were wanted in the room yeah. because the culture was, we want the best ideas to fulfill our mission, right? Which was to solve really hard gnarly diseases 
And so culture, culture, culture. And then secondly, this notion of alignment at the leadership team. We all knew that the executives debated hard, but when that door shut and they came out, they said, we're in. And so that was formed for me, the basis of what great leadership looks like and what great companies look like. We also, I guess I'd say the third thing is we wanted to be process light, just enough to get us moving and cooking and aligned. Yeah. But we didn't want to be process heavy. And so that, that lent itself to this spirit of innovation and, and, and really remarkable scientific breakthroughs. Well, hallelujah on the process issue. I, I, was, I was talking to my team internally today about, about that, which is as, as the business scales, how do we not let process become a result? <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Uh, it, it takes attention. I don't think you, you don't just solve it. Yeah. As leaders and employees at all levels have a, an important part to play. And you just have to keep saying, what's the minimum viable process mm-hmm. to get us to get, right? And if you can't say that that process helps, it's gone and move I on. I love that. That should, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to borrow that, <laughs> Lee. What's the minimal viable process? That's an excellent, excellent line. And then obviously you went from Genetech to uh, probably one of the most celebrated organizations on the planet, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Wow, what an incredible place to have uh, been part of and certainly very topical today. Maybe in the future, it'll just be the Bill and then there'll be another Melinda Foundation. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, what, 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 what was that like? Wow, what a great experience. You know, I, I think uh, for me, I'd worked globally prior uh, but one of the things that I learned at the Gates Foundation was the, the power of, I call it the three Ps, uh, partnerships, platforms, and people. And the Gates Foundation uh, had a platform. When the Gates Foundation called, people answered, right? And it worked through partnerships, partnerships with the government, partnership with NGOs, partnership with the for-profit sector, all focused on its mission, right? Which was to alleviate poverty. And, um, and so that was amazing to see the power and potential of partnerships. And then the people part is when you really hire remarkable talent and work aligned around a compelling mission, right? Uh, what, what that can enable. Um, and so, the three P's were really huge. Um, and it remains a remarkable organization. It will absolutely continue uh, despite, you know, current events of, of announcement about Bill and Melinda. It's a, it's a vibrant and vital uh, resource in the world. Yeah. It will continue to be that way. It'll be interesting to see how it adapts in the coming years. But I, when people say, oh, what does this mean? And I was like, you know, we don't know the specifics, but we know it, it will remain a, an important major player uh, in the world. And so I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for it. I have no reason to expect that it wouldn't continue to do great things. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I uh, did watch, uh, I think, the uh, Netflix documentary where they were talking about some of the sewage work and that the foundation had been involved in. And it was just a, such a fascinating story of something that is so commonplace and almost it's certainly taken for granted in 
in the U.S. and, and Western Europe. And yet how challenging clean water still is for so many societies uh, around the world. Um, I was actually delving more deeply in, in, on that topic, actually, in Latin America. Uh, mm. A lot of, uh, you know, we, uh, we're, we're talking to a group where they were talking to us about how a lot of, a lot of the challenges that we face on the immigration front today um, are deeply rooted in the fact that some sanitation and clean water still remain huge problems. And even like Central America, South America, we so often talk about Asia and Africa in that area, but certainly not about like Nicaragua or places like that, which just don't have any infrastructure. So um, always challenges, right? Uh, always things that we have to tackle. But let, let's kind of tackle a slightly different topic. And, and that's really... Uh, what we've all been living through, which is probably one of the biggest challenges that the, uh, our world has faced, especially in, in our lifetime, Lee, which has been this pandemic. Um, it's impacted all of us on a personal level, professional level. I'd just be curious to get your thoughts on you know, what learnings that you've, you've, you've gained and garnered through what the work you've been doing at Neotero, uh, as well as personally. Yeah, well, what what a what a time, you know. And um, the one thing I want to just elevate, and so true, is that certainly for those of us who live in the U.S., um, due very much to the the partnership and the the alignment of incentives, which I mentioned before, that really helped to catalyze what may be the the most remarkable scientific breakthroughs of the speed at which we were able to develop vaccines. It's unheard of, uh, and these are well-studied vaccines, actually. That's the other thing that I think people don't quite understand. But um, so it's neat and exciting, personally for myself, my family to, to be coming out of it for our organization as we're beginning to think through how do we enable in-person connectivity. What's also true is that's not the reality for most people on planet Earth. Uh, we see in India, we see in Brazil and many other countries where the the, the pandemic is still raging and getting worse, right? And so then we begin tracking back to say, well, why is that? And often it gets back to some mix of uh, poor infrastructure, wrong choices, bad choices, limited governance uh, capacity, right? We certainly see that in Brazil with the Bolsonaro uh, administration and, and elsewhere. And a literally lack of resources where a lot of countries have said, we're going to take care of our own, right? And so, yes, that's good, but I want to just encourage people to be thinking globally, right? What's good globally is also good locally. So that's one reflection. The other reflection is just how uh, mental health, uh, to kind of lift that up, I think we're going to find the impact on mental health on a lot of people disproportionately impacting women, mm. BIPOC identified people in the United States, not exclusively, but it's been very hard for folks who are, you know, have kids who have families to take care of, lost their jobs, the financial hardships, and then just being on Zoom. I mean, it's great to see you. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, it's kind of every day, you know, and so um, that's, I think, taken a toll. And, you know, social interaction is critical for all animals, of which we are. And so I think as we get out of this, that'll be really important. I think we're going to find 
more people wanting to get back in as they feel safe into, yeah. into the workplace. It's been an interesting discussion in, in my organization, which is you know, there was the perhaps office driven culture that we had before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, very much of this remote or digital driven culture. But what will this world be like afterward? Do you have any sense of how the organizations that you're involved with are thinking about that? Yeah, I think we're, uh, you, you remember early on, I think it was last year, people were saying, oh, we'll never go back to the office, you know, and I think that was a little bit of a fantasy. So I think what we're going to find are two things. I think for those who do work in an office setting, um, I think more often we're going to see, you know, face-to-face -face interactions, getting back into shared workspaces. I think mm -hmm. that's going to happen. I also think we're going to find more flexible work options as well. And that's certainly what we're thinking about in my organization of, you know, how do we balance that? And uh, we also in the, we're global, but we have a, a, our centers here in Seattle and we were very much a FaceTime show up too. And I think we're going to be less so when we let, you know, begin opening the office, which our plans are in September. So I, I think it's, I think we're gonna find innovation really does thrive in the free flow of information. Um, and so we're gonna, we're gonna find that, but it'll be more flexible. So, so Lee, as, as we move out of that pandemic moment and we're moving into this post pandemic, I would say almost on a personal level, a euphoria because we get to see uh, family and friends and, and loved ones, which is, which is really great. I, I, I witnessed my wife yesterday run into a friend she hadn't seen and it was just incredible. It just burst into tears and it was, uh, it, the, just the joy of, of that human connection again. But, uh, when we think about it from a business perspective, obviously you're an expert of how public and private sectors work together. What what have we learned here and, and what, what are we going to see people applying over the next couple of years uh, that, that might benefit society? Well, you, you used a word that, I, that comes to my mind, which is the word heart. Mm. Right. And so on, on the one I, I, I hope this global experience has made all of us more empathetic to the experience of others, not just our neighbors, our family members, but more empathetic and understanding of people who are different than ourselves, right? And we've certainly seen uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, which by the way, I think this is about white people getting woke, right? Because uh, the black community, BIPOC community, there's, there's really nothing new, only just that there's more videos and more evidence that's getting circulated uh, outside their communities. But I, I think there's an empathy and empathy is, is not a head thing, it's a heart thing. It's a body experience. And it's, you know, on the one hand, it's, you can kind of get numbed out to the numbers of people who died from COVID um, but on the other hand, most of us have had an experience of someone in our communities or family who have been adversely impacted, whether it's right. financial hardship or actual illness, or for those of us who, you know, fear for our, our friends, right, who, who are um, 
African-American who are, you know, just worry every day. Or, or... So I, I hope that that's one thing, that this is a more generous world. It's a more um, heart-led world and that that then is manifest in our, in our workplaces, in the private sector, in the public sector. Um, I'm a practical optimist. I, I, I believe that um, as a society, as a planet, we have the capacity, the goodwill, the generosity, the smarts to really address climate change and, and these inequities that are so pervasive. Um, but it really, we need to lead with our heart because the mind so far hasn't solved some of the harder problems, but together the, the head and the heart can really move mountains. I certainly would ne could never be as eloquent as that, Lee. That was incredible, and I, uh, I, 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 that really, your, your thoughts really touched me. I, 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 I can see how how many challenges that we still have right in front of us, and um, I hope that we we do learn those lessons. I, I, I was reflecting on that today because there there is this impact sometimes that like if let's say the pandemic ends and we all rush back to the lives that we had before and we forget everything that we learned and we forget all the experiences because they were too hard and and i i i do think i i i think i've changed i think that most people that, that i talk to have changed and i'm hoping that 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 does get reflected in how we we solve challenges Lee, it's been amazing to talk to you today. We've been speaking to Lee Morgan. She is, I would say, a guru about how public and private sector businesses and enterprises and foundations can work more effectively together to scale and, and, and be successful. She's currently the Chief Strategy and Operating Officer at the Nia Taro Foundation. Uh, she's also been the COO at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We've talked about her role as the global head of HR at, the, at Genentech. Uh, it's been an incredible conversation, Lee. Um, if someone wants to, to reach you and connect with you, what's the best way that they can find you? You know, you can direct message me through Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Lee M Speaks. Uh, you can also reach me on LinkedIn is another good forum. And I look forward to engaging in conversation with folks who care about these issues. I have a lot to learn and Together, I think, uh, to continue this conversation about public-private and scaling and leading great companies that change the, not just companies, organizations that change the world for better. Yeah. Listen, Lee, thank you so much for joining us on Uncaged today. Uncaged is a program that provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the commerce of tomorrow. And clearly, Lee, uh, you are doing that. So thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks a bunch.